Welcome to Bible study, everybody. It's good to see you. Hi. Yeah, everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Gonna start a time in prayer and uh, see what happens. Father, thanks for your word. We thank you, God, for wanting to speak to us, for providing for that. I pray that we would uh, pay attention tonight and really have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. We ask you that you would teach us. We ask you that you would bring revelation our way. I pray, Father, that beyond what could be said here tonight, uh, beyond what could be read here tonight, there would be revelation into our hearts and into our minds, into who we are, God, uh, that would be personal and that would be powerful in each of our lives. So, God, I just ask that we'd be open, ready, willing to receive. I pray, God, your Holy Spirit, that he would have his way and that, God, we'd be just ready to receive all that you want to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's good to see everybody. Good to see you, It really is. We had a... uh, We actually had a a question come in over the speak pipe. Uh, That's our way that we can receive questions here at Bible study from AFAR. Uh, People that live AFAR from here, they uh, can log on to... Or not log on, but they just go to a website and they can leave... A message. Uh, the website, if anyone interested in asking a question, is at www.speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E, all one word, dot com, slash, all one word, Monday Night Bible Study. And uh, you can leave a question for us there, and we can try to answer it. So, let's see what we can do here. To get a question. This question is from Tim. You guys know Tim? Yes, Tim lives in in Northern Ireland. He lives in Belfast. And so I'm going to attempt to play this and we'll see what Tim's question is. This is Tim. I'm calling you guys from sunny Belfast where... It has been 60 degrees and sunny for about five days, which is really strange, but it's great. I had two questions. Um, First, about John the Baptist, how you were talking about him last week, and how he uh, lived most of his life in the wilderness, away from the influence of other people, and just learned from God. And my question is, how do we become more like that, and how do we unlearn? all the stuff and all the, the bad beliefs that we still might have um, growing up in the world. How do we how do we be cleansed of that and um, become more like John the Baptist? And my second question is, what do you think about Trailer Park Boys? <laughs> Thanks for taking my questions. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> all right, so that was Tim. <laughs> Those were those were important questions. Uh, the first question he had had to do with John the Baptist, and that refers back to a teaching that uh, we had a couple weeks ago, and uh, it was uh, based on a Bible study we did from Luke chapter one and verse eighty, uh, talking about John the Baptist, and it talks about his life, how he uh, grew, and uh, part of what I was saying during that Bible study was that. Uh, that he had grown up in the wilderness. Uh, his parents had been fairly old when he was born. Uh, we know that his mom was past the age of childbearing, but it was a miracle that she became pregnant and she bore John and, and he, all that. We, you know, it's all part of the story, but uh, what's not in the story, what's not in the Bible at least, is what happened to John after that and what happened to his family. So we have reasonable... Just a reasonable conclusion as far as his parents. They probably didn't live that long into his childhood. And uh, we know that he was brought up some way in the wilderness. So 
he didn't have a lot of the belief systems and a lot of the prejudices that people had during that day because he didn't grow up in it. He hadn't grown up in the temple system. He hadn't grown up in uh, the religious systems of the day. He wasn't really, I don't think we have any reason to believe he was really that fully aware of the practices and the ways of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the councils and all things that people were caught up in or even in all the ways of the temple. But he had come into relationship with God in whatever way he did uh, among whoever he was around, probably not that many people. God had called him. God had anointed him. We know that he was well aware of spiritual things even before he was born. Uh, when Mary was in proximity to Elizabeth, that he jumped in her womb uh, because Jesus was in in the womb of Mary. So we, we know that he had a spiritual sensitivity. So all these things, but when he showed up in Jerusalem, when he came on the scene... He wasn't really, he didn't really care too much about who he was talking to. In other words, when the Pharisees came, he saw them as being a brood of vipers. In other words, he recognized them for who they actually were. He recognized them and he called them out on who they actually were. Uh, another example is King Herod. He, he was not afraid to go to King Herod and tell King Herod, you can't be doing this, these things that you're doing. And he said, these are sinful things and you can't be doing that. And so he called him out on those things. And, and so the conventions that a lot of people in that day, almost everybody would have lived under, he didn't live under those conventions. So what Tim's really asking is, how do we get to that point? In other words, we are concerned about whatever it is, whether it's religious things or it's political things or whether we're concerned about the boss, or we're concerned about this person or that person, or the way things are supposed to be, or the way things have always been done, or the way things are supposed to look, or whatever it is, we are concerned about those things because somebody along the line or somewhere we were taught to be concerned about those things. So how do you unlearn that? What's the, and I think what Tim's really asking is like, what, how do you do it? How do you go about that? And I think it's a great question uh, and I'm wondering, any of you guys ever unlearn anything? Yes. How do you unlearn something? You're learning something else to take its place. Okay, so Dave says that he, he's, uh, his, he's postulating over there that you can <laughs> unlearn something by learning something else to take its place. All right, so you're actually, in a sense, forcing out that way of thinking and replacing it with something else. All right, which I think that's pretty sound advice because it's hard to get rid of something and just leave a void. It's just hard to, to leave. It's like, well, what do I do in that situation? Yeah, it's hard to be like, well, I don't know. Well, yeah, you do because you've had experience and, and there's something in you that's going to tell you what to do. So if you don't have something better, if you don't have something that makes more sense, you don't have something that you've decided or that you may, or that you've come to the conclusion that this is the way it's going to be and you haven't replaced it, it's difficult to unlearn something. Okay, anybody else? Or that, that steal your thunder? Anybody else got anything? Repetition. Repetition. Okay, you keep doing the same thing over and over again. Now, if you're trying to teach yourself a new idea, how do you repeat that? Over and over. Just repeat it, right? Do you say it? Do you write it? Do you do it? All those things. What, which, which time do you think is the hardest time to do something different? First time or the last time? First. First time. And then you just keep doing it. All right. So, uh, so those are some, some handy things. Anybody else? How about just for kidding? <laughs> just forgetting? Forget about it. Yeah. And how do you forget something? Well, Don, Don, I know at your advanced age it just happened. I know that, but you know Tim is a young man here. And he's more forgetful than I am. And he's more forgetful. Yeah, why are you asking? Did you forget you asked this question? Maybe. But anybody else? Okay, so I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it on those things because I think that in order to teach ourselves new behaviors, in order to teach ourselves new ways of thinking about things, repetition, replacing them with the truth. And, and I'm going to say the truth because there are certain things and, and we can't be afraid of calling something 
the truth. It may not just be a different idea. It may not just be a better idea. It might just be the truth. And so replacing lies, replacing bad ways of thinking, replacing those things that are holding us back with words of truth and repeating them and saying them over again. I've said many times that when I need to convince myself of something else, I, I literally go through a process where it's like I'm brainwashing myself. Because I just say things over and over again. I do things over and over again. I have to practice it more than once in order to be able to do it. But you have to be able to recognize, too, that they're, they're bad ideas. I mean, I run into Christians all the time who hang on to bad ideas just because... Just because. Right. <laughs> and so... and, and, and I'm. And I'm in this particular question, I mean, Tim, I think, recognizes that he has bad ideas because they're hindering him and holding him back, but maybe not everything that's hindering and holding him back. So maybe there's a, a point of revelation where God needs to bring some revelation into that, too, even about some small things or some things he hasn't thought of yet that are still standing in the way. All right. So, Tim, I hope that helped you out. I hope that that spoke to what you were asking. And if not, get back on the speak pipe. Ask another question. Trailer Park Board Season 10. Entertaining. Entertaining. Yeah. And, and thank God for half the season, Randy actually was wearing a shirt. Over a garbage bag. But, yep, entertaining. All right. Okay, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to John chapter 1. If you need a Bible, there's some located on the table right there. And you can feel free to get on up and grab a Bible. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 50 and 51. I'll talk about Nathaniel. So John 1, 50 and 51. Anybody want to read those for us? Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Alright, thanks for reading that. Now this is a, as Jesus is gathering his disciples... This was part of that process. Uh, Nathaniel uh, was described is described as a man without guile, uh, which means he wasn't a hypocrite. He was someone who just was who he was. He was genuine and he was honest. And so keep that in mind about him. If you look in the verse uh, just prior to this, uh, look in verses 48, 49, somewhere in there, Nathaniel makes a statement of faith. Do you see it there somewhere? Mm-hmm. What does he say in that? Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Uh, well, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll right. see greater things than that. All right. So Nathaniel makes a, a pretty big statement of faith here. And Jesus is answering that. He's responding to that. And he uses the words, you believe. And that same word, that those same words are used a couple times in John. Now, we don't have to turn there, but I'll give you a couple more examples of where they use John 16, 31, John 20, 29. And so Jesus speaking to Nathaniel, if you think about Nathaniel for a second, he knew nothing of Jesus' work. He was just being called. And yet he was able to say that Jesus, you're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And so we can assume from that that, and I assume from that, that this is a matter of some kind of revelation in Nathaniel's life. This isn't a matter of him figuring this out. It isn't a matter of him being able to say firsthand. I mean, we're only in John 1 here, right? So he hasn't been following Jesus for years. He hasn't been seeing all the things that Jesus was going to do. And so Jesus... He responds to that. It's like that, that was a, a statement of faith. That was a statement of revelation that Nathaniel had. That there was nothing that Jesus had done yet, really, that would show that he was the Son of God. Certainly, he wasn't reigning and ruling over Israel. He wasn't on a throne. He didn't. He didn't have any authority. He wasn't. You know, somehow he hadn't supplanted the Roman government. So. 
There, were, there was no, there's no reason for him to say you're the king of Israel. There was no reason for him to say you're the son of God either. And yet, he had the revelation to speak that. And Jesus responds to that. Jesus responds to that. And what he says, he's like, you know, you're, you're really, you're just saying that based on the fact that Jesus had a word of knowledge. I mean, was that why he was saying it? Jesus had a word of knowledge that he saw him under a fig tree. And he knew that he was a man without guile. I mean, it wasn't even that big of a word of knowledge. It was just a word of knowledge. These are a common word that if you do evangelism with us, you might give a word like that sometimes. You may have given those kind of words. I mean, people don't normally fall on their knees and proclaim Jesus as the Son of God and the King of Israel at that point. They might say, whoa, how'd you know that? They might ask you a question about it, or they might say, yeah, that's right on, or they might say, yeah, that was cool, or whatever they might say, but to make such a declaration of faith that he makes right here is a matter of revelation. That God sovereignly reached down and brought revelation into his heart, into his life. You see, there's, there's a link, and, and Nathaniel shows us a link between faith and discipleship. And the reason that link is there, and the reason that link is important, is because true discipleship involves answering a call. And it takes faith to answer a call. Because you don't know where that call is going to lead. You don't know what that call is going to entail. You don't know what it's going to cost you. And so there, there's no way that anybody, Matthew, when he, Levi, when he left tax collecting and threw a big party for Jesus at his house, he left behind a, a very lucrative way to make a living in order to follow after Jesus. But he wasn't worried about it. He threw a party over it. And you think about the fishermen that dropped their nets and followed Jesus. That as the disciples were answering the call and they were answering Jesus, Jesus hadn't done anything yet. There was a faith that they had to show in those moments. And that faith was linked to their call and linked to their answer to that call and linked to their discipleship. A lot of times you look at the disciples, the twelve, and you think, well, it must have been easier for them because they are actually with Jesus and they, they saw Jesus and they saw the miracles and they saw Him raise the dead and they saw all of these things. They all happened right in front of them. Well, before any of those things happened, really, they had to answer a call based on faith, which is a very blind faith. And so we can't just look at them and say, well, they had it easy. Well, they didn't have it easy. They had it the, the way we have it. There's Jesus. There's the call. What's the answer? And the answer wouldn't be necessarily a, a, an answer based on logic. It's an answer based on faith. Revelation. Something beyond that which they could see with their eyes. Something beyond that which they could hear with their ears. There was something more. They had to answer that. But it's linked in. Faith. Discipleship. And so Nathaniel, not knowing really a lot of things that we think are really key doctrines. I mean, he really didn't know, even though he made a proclamation about it, how would he know about the divine sonship of Jesus? I mean, really. He may have had a word of revelation about it, but had Jesus taught on that yet? No. Had he really been revealed yet in any physical way? No. He didn't know anything about the atonement. We consider that a very key doctrine to what we believe, but he didn't know anything about it. The atoning work of Jesus, that hadn't been revealed yet. He didn't know anything about the cross. He didn't know about the resurrection. He didn't know any of those things were going to happen. Jesus hadn't talked about that yet. He didn't know anything about the glory of Jesus. I mean, the transfiguration hadn't happened. The baptism hadn't happened yet. He didn't know anything about that. But, he was ready. Ready for what? He didn't know. Just ready. 
ready to receive, ready to accept the teachings of Jesus, even before they were taught. That's kind of crazy, but he was ready. And so were the other disciples, they were ready. They were ready, and in, in our brains we think, wow, you know, they're in a bad spot. No, they were in the greatest spot ever. And I, I, wanted, I want you to think about that for a second. They were in the greatest spot ever that human beings have ever been in. Right there. And in our minds, they were in danger. What's wrong with our minds? And I, just, I really want to challenge you on that. That if we can look at these disciples, I mean, these men that were called, they responded in faith, they put themselves at the ready to receive of Jesus, not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing where they were going to go. They were ready to receive the teachings of Jesus, not even knowing what he was going to teach. What part of us thinks that they were in danger when they were actually in the best spot they could possibly ever be in? And I just want to challenge us on that. Because I mean, we can justify that thought and it'll still be wrong. We can explain that thought, that check, that that concern. We can explain it, but it's still wrong. It's still wrong. And I wonder if I had been standing there, you'd been standing there, one of us had been standing there, would we have had the faith to blindly follow after someone and accept their teachings before they even taught them. Yeah. So I, I want to encourage us to evaluate that a little bit. Because it, if it, if it would have hindered us then, is it hindering us now? And I'd have to guess probably It's probably hindering us now. Because we like to be safe, don't we? Mm -hmm. We love that. And so we build this world, this false safety in our world that if things are in a certain order and things are in a certain way and we feel good about it, then we proclaim ourselves safe. And it is a deception. But we believe it. Yeah. You were saying that like there was a revelation to him? Yeah. Um, but why Nathaniel? Was it a, a way he he lived his life that he was open to hearing these words from God? Uh, part of his like godlessness, not not being somebody who's spinning spinning lies and clouding his head with all this junk that he he could clearly hear God. <clears throat> And respond. I mean, do, do you think of that might have something to do with this particular individual? I have no idea. Well, uh, what was interesting was a little earlier, and I just lost the page. Was uh, he said to Philip, "Nothing good, nobody good comes from Nazareth." Something like to that effect. Yeah, yeah. Even before he met Jesus, right? So he came in with a bad attitude. Right. Can, can anything good come from there? Can anything, anything good come anything out of Nazareth? Good, exactly. Yeah. And as soon as he sees him, it's a simple word. Yeah. He's proclaiming him the Son of God. Right. Yeah. Right. And that it, that's why I believe it was a matter of revelation. Now you're asking why Nathaniel? Well, I Jesus mean, called him. Open and not other people. Like the, the rich man he called, right? He didn't he didn't hear and had get the revelation. Or he called another disciple, he said, First let me go bury my father. Yeah. Or he called another disciple, it's like, well, you know, birds have nests or, you know, whatever, and, but, and, but some man has nowhere to lay his head. So, he, yeah, he did call other people who didn't respond the same way. Right. So what was about Nathaniel? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You, you don't know. You, you, you don't think that maybe it was some way he was already living his life? What about Peter and, uh, yeah. what about, what about, you know, you think about the different, the di- Peter and Andrew, what about, uh, Matthew, Levi, he was living as a tax collector. Yeah, he was living a life. He was living a hated life. He was somebody that no one liked. Right, right. He wasn't spiritual. He had nothing to do with him. He wasn't even honest. 
So, yeah, I don't think you can even look at that and think there's, well, maybe there's some character trait that would have set him up for it. I don't know that there is. But I, what I can see from it is his response. I can see that he responded in faith. I can see that. I can see that in Andrew and Peter, that they responded in faith. I can see that in Levi, that they responded in faith. Didn't hesitate. They just... Yeah, here I am. Yeah, they didn't need a guarantee. They weren't asking for, they weren't negotiating. Right. Follow me. The fishermen left all the fish they pulled out of the boat, left the fish and followed them. So they're, gonna, they're leaving family, they're leaving livelihood, money, and they're following it. There's a faith. But faith, again, and this is what, you know, faith is tied to discipleship. And, and the idea about discipleship is that we have tried, and by we I mean that as a big we as the church, we've tried as the, the worldwide church of Jesus, not meaning anything by that in any particular denomination, but we've tried somehow to separate those things. We've tried to make discipleship a program, or we've tried to make discipleship a process. And the idea of the process is that if you can complete A, B, C, and D, 1, 2, and 3, and you get all of these things done, then you're being discipled. And, and what that removes from it, in a real sense, is the adventure that requires the faith. It removes the unknown. And the unknown is really the key... <laughs> To activating the faith, you know, that place where faith is possible. That's what the unknown does. The unknown is important to that because that's where faith is possible. Like, like taking your, the, the step without seeing the next stone to step on in front of you. Right. But having faith that it's going to be there when you put your foot down. Like in Indiana Jones, you know, when he's going across. Okay. He's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I'd catch somebody on that. Or, or X-Men too, right? When he's walking. Oh, yeah. Making the pieces in front of So all of those factors, I think, are important for us because the, the faith piece of this is key. Uh, it's a revelation that Jesus speaks of He's responding to Nathaniel's statement of faith. He's responding to his creed that he brought out. He said, this is who you are. And so he speaks directly to that, and then he talks of revelation after that. Now, we know, I believe that that was a matter of revelation, but Jesus pretty much says after that, you've not seen anything. You, you have not seen anything yet. And so he, he gives him this idea and he proclaims this idea not just to Nathaniel but to all the disciples that were standing around. You're going to see something even greater than this. You're going to see bigger things. You're going to see heaven opened. But the, the context is what I was getting at. The context of it is the place of faith and the place of the unknown. And the place of, uh, I'm ready to receive. The place of, I'm ready to hear what you have to say. I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what you're going to give. Jesus is talking about, you know, you see greater things than these. Well, yeah, of course they're going to see greater things than those. As they follow Jesus around, what did they see? What were some of the greater things they saw? Okay, you got a word of knowledge there. Good, excellent. But what else are you going to see? What did they see? Give me a few examples of what they saw. Feeding the thousands. Hmm? Feeding the thousands. Feeding the thousands and multiplication. What else did they see? They saw water turned into wine. They saw the dead raised. A few different times. Blind see. They saw the lame were walking. The deaf were hearing. The mute were speaking. Demons were being cast out. Not only did they see those things, Jesus sent them out. And they did those things. So they were participating 
in the very things that Jesus says, like you've seen just a few, you've seen one thing. You've seen a word of knowledge. But there's more. I'm going to show you more. And so he showed them more. And he gave them examples. And he modeled certain behaviors. And so they had an expectation. They built an expectation that, yeah, God's going to use me in these things too. And he sent them out and he did. God used them in those things also. They were to see and they were to participate in the greater gifts in operation. In other words, more of Jesus and more of the Holy Spirit through them. That's what they saw. And so that that would have been enough, I think. I, I think that would have been enough. But then he goes on in Kim's Bible was kind of a neat translation of that. It says, so he says all of those things, and he said, then he and then it says, and they go, and he went on. <laughs> in other words, that's all. That, I mean, those that that's that's the proclamation right there that you're going to see miracle signs, wonders, the dead raised, and you're going to see all of these things. You're going to see demons cast out. You're going to participate in all of these things. All this is going to come your way. And then he went on. So he added some more to that. And that's what we see in the next verse where he says this. He says, this is true, or verily, verily, I say unto you. You like that? Verily, verily? <clears throat> yeah, basically what that means is this is true. You can count on this. And he says that, he's going to, that they would see heaven open. And, and there were certain things that had not been revealed. As of that point, there are certain things not revealed as of now. And I speak that to us sitting here. There have been certain things unrevealed as of now. Not everything has been revealed. I'm not of the persuasion, the Christian persuasion, that that believes everything has been revealed. I don't believe that. In fact, Jesus spoke of that in the book of Acts and there are other areas that you can see that in where there's just more to come. There's more to be revealed. There's more to be understood. There's more that we can partake of in our own lives. And you know this to be a a subjective fact in the sense that there are certain people that you've met that have greater revelation than you do. There are. There are people that get up to teach and and they start speaking and you realize right away, you can, you can identify right away, that person has a greater revelation than what you have. And so you listen to them. That's alright, that's good. But all that says to us is that there's more to be revealed. There are things in our lives, things that, that are part of who we are that have it just they've not been uncovered yet for us. And to me that's kind of exciting, like I, I love that. I love the fact that we don't know everything. I love the fact that there's still things that are covered up that, that still need to be unveiled for us. And that's kind of exciting. It's like, it's like there's a bunch of gifts under the tree that we haven't gotten to yet. There's a bunch of stuff that we haven't seen. There's a bunch of stuff that just hasn't been uncovered yet. And so there's that excitement, there's that discovery that God wants us to live in. And it's not just something that happens every now and then, but it's something that He has for us to perpetually live in. Why do I say that? Because He begins to speak, and as He says, you will see heaven opened. That whole idea of heaven opened, the, the words that are used there are continual words. That heaven stands open. And so because heaven is standing open, it's not like a door that's opening and shutting, so we've got to peek in real quick every now and then to make sure we can kind of see what's going on there because we're getting an open door here or there. But heaven is standing open. So what's holding us back? What's the issue? Well, part of the issue is you're bored. You're bored of opening your presence. <coughs> Seriously? We're bored of unveiling new stuff? We're bored of opening our presents? There's more presents under the tree. There's more stuff with our name on it. Oh, I'm just too tired. I'm so tired. Got these presents. I just keep opening them and opening them. Ugh. 
tired. Yeah. So tired. Yeah. See, that's part of the problem. Is when you get bored. You get bored. You forget about that we live an exciting life. That there is something really exciting about the God of the universe indwelling us. There's something really exciting about communicating with the God of the universe who's created all things. There's something really exciting about being in His presence. There's something really exciting about worshiping Him. There's something really exciting about learning more about Him, of deepening our relationship with Him, of even being in a relationship with Him. There's something really exciting about that. And so, whether or not we choose to live in that level of excitement or we're just going to be bored, I guess, is up to us. But part of that is recognizing where we're at, recognizing our position, recognizing the spot that God has us in and the opportunities that are laying before us of gifts, the opportunities that are laying before us of revelation, the opportunities that are laying before us of all kinds of things that God has for us, that God wants to show us, that God wants to initiate in our lives. If we can stay awake long enough to get to the presence and the good part. Just got to get there. You guys know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. You got you go into Corinthians. There's, there's all kinds of spots where you can find gifts of the Holy Spirit. I, my go-to is always First uh, Corinthians 12, where you have the nine gifts that are listed there. And and if you're not moving in all those, you're not operating in all those, they're still sitting there, asking for them, asking. You know, some some of the, I heard all kinds of weird stuff about gifts of the Holy Spirit when I first became a Christian. And somebody took me aside one time and explained it to me. And what they explained it to me, they just said, just keep asking. And, and just keep asking, keep seeking, keep receiving, keep being used, keep allowing your, yourself to be initiated into those gifts. <clears throat> you can't live in fear, just live in faith. And you'll see what God will do through you. And God does that. He pours out His gifts. He pours out His gifts. He pours out His gifts. There's new ones to try. There's new ones to use. There's new ones for new situations. Whatever it is, it's an adventure. It's an adventure. And, and that's one of those moments. And, and going back to Tim's question, one of those moments where I changed a bad idea. Oh, well, you know, maybe that's all God has for me. Well, how do I know? I'm not asking. I'm not seeking. I'm not desiring earnestly the greater gifts, especially that I might prophesy. That's what Paul instructed the church to do. And the word in there, I've said this many times, I want to drive it home again. The word in there is covet. Covet. Earnestly. The greater gifts. It's one of the only things in the Bible you can actually covet. And we're not even taking advantage of it. And so I had to replace the bad idea of... Well, I guess that's all I get to, I want more. Yeah. I'm going to seek for more. I'm going, to, I'm going to desire more. I'm going to covet the greater gifts. I'm going to actually go after them. I'm going to believe for them. I'm going to keep asking them. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep going to that door until that door opens and I get that hunk of bread or I get whatever it is I'm waiting for. Just keep knocking. Just keep knocking. I'm going to be the annoying disciple and I'm going to keep knocking until I get it. But that's an adventure. That's an adventure. All of these things are an adventure. You know, Jesus is the, the mediator. Alright? Of everything we're talking about here, Jesus is the mediator. He's the one. There is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. One. He's the one. And so he's given them the, the instruction to come and see. Come and see. And so what does he describe here? He says the heavens will be open. And then he gives a description. He says you're going to see angels doing what? Sending and descending. On the Son of Man. And what I want you to think about here, and I want you to draw a... A, a comparison, a biblical comparison to, and what do you think of when you hear that? Ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, Genesis 28, verses 12 and 13. Genesis 28, verses 12 and 13. 
That's what we refer to as Jacob's ladder. So in the scenario that Jesus gives, He says you're going to see angels ascending and descending. Who's the ladder? Jesus is the ladder. He's the ladder. Alright? He is the link. He is that mediator, the mediation, the bridge, whatever you want to call it. That's who He is. And so whatever's going on in the spiritual realms, in the heavenlies, whatever's going on in the physical realm, He's the mediator between those things. And so we're going to see angels ascending and descending. How? Through our relationship with Him. We're going to see angels moving and going about ministry. They are ministering spirits. How does that happen? Through Jesus. Jesus is the link. He is that ladder by which... They ascend and descend. They move and they go about the business that God has called them to. You think about angels. What are they? Warriors. They're messengers. They're singers. They're worshipers. They're all of those things. They minister to us. It's what they do. And the way they're going to do that and the way they're going to move and the way they're going to get to where they're going and the way they're going to be in our lives and our understanding, our revelation of them is going to be through Jesus. That's how it happens. That's what makes sense in all of this. It's Him being the ladder. So from now on, He says, you'll see the heavens open. That's what He tells them. From now on. From now on, this is what you're going to see, disciples. You're going to see the heavens opened, and you're going to see the angels You're going to see them going about their business. You're going to see the things in the spiritual realm. You're going to see the things in the physical realm. This is your life. This is your life. Your life, disciples. It's your life. That's what he declares there. So is he wrong? I'm just asking a question. Is Jesus wrong? Okay, if he's never wrong, is he wrong about this? No. No. No, he's not wrong about this. So from then on, 2,000 years ago, his disciples were going to see the heavens open. They're going to see the angels going about their business and going about what God told them to do. Messengers, what did I say they were? Warriors, messengers, singers, worshipers, all that stuff. Ministers, they were going to be doing all those things. <coughs> Alright then, if he's not lying, what's the problem? Is there a problem or is there not a problem? What's the problem? We don't believe. You don't believe. You don't believe. We don't believe to the point, to the point that if someone were to sit here and to tell you about talking to angels, someone to sit here and tell you, talk to you about what angels do, the ministry of angels, what they're doing right now, what's going on in the heavenlies, what's happening between angels and demons right now, what's happening in the ministry of angels to people, over people, maybe even over your life, someone to hit, sit here and tell you all about it, you probably wouldn't believe them. That's a lie of disbelief. And the real question in all of this, and I really want to encourage you, going back to the original question I had about, you know, the safe space and all that, the safe spot. What is that holding you back from? What's that holding me back from? A lot. A lot. That I'm ready to receive God's word. Well, he hasn't spoke it yet. I'm going to receive it anyway. I accept it. How can you do that, Faith. Yeah, well, that's a dangerous place. No, that's the best place in the world we could possibly be in. Ever. We couldn't even come up with a better place than that. And yet there's something in us telling us it's unsafe. How could that be unsafe? It's the best place we could ever be. Well, that that's unsafe. No. It's awesome. And so somehow in our minds, somehow in our hearts, we need to change that. Somehow. Because you're not going to control God. And so if controlling Him is a prerequisite for faith and following Him and being His disciple, you'll never do it. 
Ever. You're not going to control His will for your life. You're not going to control His purposes for your life. You're not going to control what He has for you. You're not going to control what the future holds with Him. You're just not. And so if that is a prerequisite for you to follow after Him, you will never follow after Him. You can't. Because no one can control that. Nobody. And you think about even Jesus when He was on the earth fully man. And He's speaking to the Father and the Father's will and the Father's purposes and the Father what the Father has. And they were asking Jesus questions about the future. He's like, yeah, I, I don't know those things. There were things Jesus didn't know. He says, that's in the hands of the Father. That, that's what He's doing. I don't know those things. So He entrusted Himself without knowing? He didn't know how it was going to ultimately end? No. He didn't know the times of the seasons. He didn't know how it was going to happen in the end times. None of that. But He entrusted Himself in faith. One step at a time. So Nathaniel, he makes his proclamation. Jesus sees that kind of faith and he begins to, to expand it. And I want you to, to, to hear that, that, that. That whatever that revelation was that came to Nathaniel, he spoke it out, didn't he? He didn't keep it to himself. He got a revelation and he used it. He exercised it. And Jesus grabbed hold of him exercising that revelation and just expanded it. And he said, here's what you're going to see next. Here's what you're going to experience next. You're going to see, uh, you've got this revelation, you've got this much of a revelation. Here's the next part. The next part is miracle signs and wonders. The next part is raising the dead. The next part are all these great things you're about to see. Water into wine. All these things that are going to happen. Demons being cast out. And the deaf hearing and, and the blind seeing. You're going to see all of these. So it begins to expand. Is it? And then... And then, from this point on, heaven itself is going to be opened and there's going to be a, a visible, understandable, experiential, spiritual realm that you're going to see and live in through me even while you're living on the earth. Sweet. So everything just went from, I got this revelation, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Great. Boom. All right. You're going to see some miracle signs and wonders and you're going to see the dead. Right. Boom. A new realm is opened. But it takes, you got to exercise something. You got to exercise something. Anything I've ever received from God, any kind of revelation, anything that he's ever given me, if I didn't turn that into something I exercised, I either forgot about it or it disappeared. Just telling you. I either just didn't, I didn't think about it anymore or something, you know, but if I can take something, I can exercise it, then it's going to open up to something else. And I know that. And if I can exercise that, that's going to open up to something else. And exercise that, it's going to open up to something else. Yeah. You know, when we were first exploring the gifts of the Holy Spirit way back, wherever I came from, they, you know, we didn't have any examples. We didn't have anybody modeling that behavior. Not really. And so we'd read them in, in the Bible and you know somebody had told us, well, you'll probably start moving in the gift of tongues first, interpretation of tongues. We didn't know. So what did we move in first? What do we have any faith for? Tongues and interpretation of tongues. So somebody told me that, right? So sitting in meetings, it'd be like, all right, I think I got, I think I got one here. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to do it as soon as there's a break in the music. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get it next time. I know. I, there's going to be a break coming up. Come on, Mary. Give me a break. Give me a, give me a shot here. Stop singing there for a second. Come on. And then finally do that. And then, okay, there's one. But then if you speak one and nobody interprets it, then you've got to pray to interpret it. So then that happens eventually. So then you're interpreting it. And then, and then eventually, as I said, somebody spoke to me and said, be praying for all the gifts. And that, that opened up a whole other floodgate. It's like, I want all of them. I want every gift. I want God. I want every one of them. That's it. And so as gifts began to pour into my life, i got to exercise that now. i got to do something with that. And so as exercising those things began to expand. 
and expand and expand. Gifts of healings begin to expand. God speaking to me in dreams began to expand. Revelation and seeing visions began to expand. All of those things would expand as I took action and applied faith to them. But there's got to be something in us that's willing to do that. To apply our faith to something we don't know already. Can you apply your faith to something you don't know already? Yeah, you can. <laughs> you don't need to know, you know every detail of something to apply your faith to it. The substance, the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, that's what faith is. And so, not seeing the future, not knowing what's going to be said, not knowing God's will, not not, not knowing God's plan or His purpose, or or not understanding any of that kind of stuff. I mean. Bottom line to that, that is the place where faith is possible, but it's also the place where faith is required. If we're going to do anything, we're going to go anywhere. We're going to get anywhere from here. Yeah. Um, I know when I was in Indiana, one of the things that held a lot of people back is they would get a word and it would encourage them to step out and do something outside of their comfort zone. And then they would question whether or not it was God. And they just needed someone to tell them, well, I don't think Satan would ask you to do that. <laughs> right. But why the doubt? I mean, and in, seriously, with, with people that just become Christians, they don't, there's no reason to think that. That doesn't even occur to people that weren't Christians before. It's like, oh, this is what God said. Moving ahead. Yeah. All right. It's, it's Christians that come up with, well, that was awesome. I wonder if that was God. Are you kidding me? What kind of, what kind of satanic booby trap has been put in the path of every Christian that's looking to move forward in their faith? Because as soon as you take a few steps forward, boom, you hit that thing. It's like a spirit of self-doubt, right? It's more than, yeah, but it's even more than that. It's even more than that. It's a, it's it's almost like a religious. I don't even know how to say it, like a religious landmine on anything that God wants to do. Yeah. It's like yeah, okay. I heard from God. I did it. Good fruit. Good. Awesome. Move ahead, right? Well, I don't know. I don't know if that was the <laughs> Lord. Yeah, yeah, it was really. I mean, objectively, even it was. I can't even think of a reason why you're saying that. But people do. Well, you know, it was it was funny too because John was getting ready to come back from California. He had made his plan, and all of a sudden he was struck with like fear and doubt. He was like, "I don't know if I'm supposed to come back. I don't know." He goes, "I feel like I'm going to do the wrong thing." I said, "Oh, do you feel like you're going to just totally miss God's plan for your life by coming home for the summer?" I don't think so. <laughs> I said, I, "I said I don't think God would make you feel this guilty about it." And I know that God will redeem any stupid thing that you do. So, Yeah. Yeah, we do stupid things all the time. <laughs> God redeems all kinds of stupid things because that's who he is. And, and to think that we're going to have some perfection, you know, some perfect, uh, uh, the will of God being perfected in my life. Like, well, the will of God is perfected in your life through your own mistakes and learning from those mistakes and your own uh, mess ups and learning from those and doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing or being in the wrong spot and, and all of those kind of things. That's why like somebody goes to moving to get to the spirit and they're off. So what? So what? You learn from that? Good. Try again. Try again. You see something in the spirit? You're seeing that? What are you seeing? Okay, that's a little off, but try again. Let's just do this. Let's just try that. Let's do it again. Well, what in life did you do perfect the first time you did it? We're not built that way. We're human beings. We don't learn that way. We're not built that way. There's nothing about it. We didn't take a. We didn't, uh, you know, run out and dance a ballet on our first step. All right, first time you stepped on the ice and skate, you weren't, you know, playing hockey probably. You know, we don't learn that way. That's not how we're made. 
And so to expect that in the spiritual or expect that in the other areas of our life is just fantasy and it's, it's, it's self-defeating. Mm-hmm. It's self-defeating. That's what it is. So God's looking for us to respond to Him in faith. Mm-hmm. And, that, and there's a continual, there's a, a relation, relational spot that He wants us to be in with Him. And I'm going to end this with this, that it's in that spot that we, we, find that we find ourselves in the midst of love, we find ourselves in the midst of His grace, His mercy, all those things. And, and however that's going to happen in us, I mean, trust comes easy there. It really does. When you're in the, in the presence of someone you care about, someone that you know cares about you, you can, you can sense that, you can feel that. It, it, the trust comes easy. See, trust is hard with the stranger. Faith is hard when we don't know what's going to happen, but that's what faith is. And so we need to find ourselves, I hope, in His presence. Because it's in His presence, I believe, trust can be built. And I think faith can mean something. And some of the things we're talking about tonight, that really happens. And so I want to encourage you to wake up. I want to encourage you to shake yourself from boredom. There's gifts under the tree. I want to encourage you to shake yourself from from just uh, monotony because they're, they're gifts that are waiting to be uncovered, waiting to be unwrapped in your life. I want to encourage you to, to, to put yourself in, in the presence of Jesus every time you get a chance. Every time you get a chance. When I... When I was teaching the retreat this year, that was one of the things that we talked about at the retreat was just finding ourselves and, and just centering ourselves on Jesus and recognizing His presence in us. I'd have the kids just put their hand on their stomach where those rivers of living water come from, our innermost being, where Jesus lives and where our emotions are, a lot of our emotions are where we're connected to the Holy Spirit, just put our hand there and just kind of sink down into that and find ourselves in His presence. And then, I mean, it's in that place where forgiveness happens, that place where uh, I believe real intercession happens, that place where we learn trust, it's in that place where faith is released, it's in that place where we really find ourselves in communion with the latter with the mediator, with the link, with the conduit. We find ourselves between heaven and earth in those realities because they're both so real. So I'd just like to take a few moments. Let's just spend a, just a moment in prayer. I still put my hand on my stomach. You don't have to if you don't want to, but but I want to sink down in deep in and, and just recognize the presence of Jesus in me. Jesus, I just want to say thanks that you love us and you, you call us. And I also want to say thanks that we can't tell you what to do. That you do what you want to do. You say what you want to say. You go where you want to go. And you lead us wherever you want to lead us. And I say thank you for that. Because man, we, we, can't even, we can't even figure out our own lives, much less the universe. And so, Jesus, have your way. Have your way. And I pray that, God, you would send revelation our way. I pray, God, that you would send just a a, a real eye-opener our way. And I thank you for the gifts that you've laid out for us. I thank you for the good stuff that you keep putting in our path. I thank you, God, for the things that are yet to be uncovered, the gifts that are yet to be unwrapped. I thank you for the adventure that you have for us. It's so good. If we can just, just activate that little bit of faith. 
that little bit of faith and take a step with it. I pray your peace over our hearts. I pray your peace over our minds. I pray your forgiveness over us in our pride, in our fear. And our self-provision. As futile as all that is, I, I pray you'd forgive us and cleanse us. And I pray we'd find a rest. A real rest in you. I thank you that heaven's open right now. Continue to open our hearts. Open our eyes and open our ears to more of you. For ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for uh, 